0: So, so you've, you've entered at a critical moment where developing a theme which began with vulnerability and then segued into appropriate relationship to the dark and deep things about myself, which I may consider dirty, and then took another trip to Arambam that describes the importance of what we called Kedusha, Um, transcendent experience of living, whereby the experience of myself in this moment and my interaction with others is recognizably different. And we contrasted what that means in terms of vulnerability. The whole point of vulnerability is a breaking down of differences, a dismantling of image. And then we have the Rambam that describes how a wise person should conduct himself in a way that people look at him and he's so easily distinguished from the rest, and given the rare opportunity that we have to engage in the infinite wisdom of the Torah, that should in turn impact us, that we become not different in thought but different in being. And being means not that we have now a different perspective of the world that is intellectually sound and integrated, but that we also speak differently and laugh differently and eat differently and walk differently and and talk differently. So that this body of knowledge is not some kind of decapitated intellectual reservoir but he's the very stuff that makes up the nitty-gritty details of my life. And that level of authentic integration is so powerful that it transposes the person's normal existence to a higher realm and we walk around completely and totally, visibly differentiated until people say, well, that guy's got something really special about him. And there's an, an allure and an intrigue that the Ben Torah carries with him, which encourages people to want to connect, to value, to intuitively say, Yofe Rabboi she Limdoi Torah. Whoa! Whoever his rebbe was, they taught him this Torah, that, 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 that guy's a lucky guy. And his parents, whoa, they're lucky parents. Because there's a sense of this nobility that becomes inherent in a person's actions. So that, that, that's that's kind of the, almost the other side of vulnerability vulnerabilities I turn up and I just like share my guts and and then and then you' also oh okay <laughs> never never heat of that kind of stuff but now you feel like okay well come and clean Um, yes Tommy I had a question I was gonna ask how um, how it is the the end point mm. is specifically um, encouraged through vulnerability and not other... No, no, on, on the contrary. I'm, I'm wondering if it is. At this point in time, I'm not presenting with some kind of well-constructed finished product. I'm exploring together with you this idea. On the one hand, we have to be open and authentic and genuine about where we're at. And if right now my struggles are in controlling myself and pushing people out of the line so I can get the schnitzel first (laughs) not schnitzel for me it's more about herring at the kiddush herring at the kiddush and and it can be I mean for me it's a strategic thing and it's a brute force thing so you you get to the you get to the kiddush and you've got these people surrounding the table and I spot the kiddush from between two shoulders and I need to get there there's a blockage what do I do? sneeze <laughs> Oh whoa okay so someone's got a better strategy than me says sneeze. That's one way of doing it. so I never thought sure about that but maybe next time I will use that. so, so it starts off with like a subtle movement of like a, like a swaying from side to side. Where I gently I ease forward and just merely using my shoulders, I try to create a bit of a Chris Yamsov, pushing people from either side, and then my focus is, is is very very kind of solid. I just I just go, I go for the I go for the herring and then I happen to that kind of somehow attract through the law of the secret, the law of attraction. But for me, it's much more about grabbing um, the the crackers so they can you can have that incredibly delectable combination of crackers and herring, which is which is just <laughs> Something which is which is in itself transcendent. So so I have to tell you about this because this is like this is one of the dark secrets of my of my of my um, my desire. My desire kind of blinds me to other stuff and I just get involved with it and that's that's where I'm at. I mean that's actually where I'm at you think no he's just German. Talk. No, that's actually where I'm at. Um, so that's that's embarrassing. So so, as, as a result, I want to be authentic. I want to actually say to you, that's where I'm at. That's actually where I'm at. Like, when it comes to hearing, people don't make a difference. They should get out of the way and let me eat my food. That's also pathetic. That's also pathetic. There's these human beings, these great carriers of the divine presence. And, like, I'm saying, shut up so I can get to my hearing. Not good. That's not good. That's where I'm at. So, on the one hand, this idea of being genuinely authentic. But when I say that to you, now, now, now I've kind of, you know, I've discarded the false impression that you may have of me, and therefore your our contact is a much more genuine one. You know who I am, and when you go and you also kind of spill the beans, so I know who you are, and then we'll have a real connection as opposed to the projected me who isn't me connected to the projected you that isn't you. That would be disconnecting. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, there's this like call to be different and call to be refined or to be noble. And that seems to be like... If the, the, the murky stuff starts to come up, it kind of push it down. So on the one hand, there's a, there seems to be an opening up. On the other hand, there seems to be a closing down. And we saw both of these reflected in the workings of the Maimonides Rambam. Because on the one hand, he says, and he says in a particular context, but we expanded upon it, that if you do something wrong, and it's no longer an issue of whether you need forgiveness from the person that you did it, you've got that, and you've, you've done all the required process to do Chula, you should then go and gather around a lot of people and then tell them all the bad stuff that you did. And that completes the process because that already kind of gets it out there that you, you've had regrets and you don't, you don't hide it, you don't camouflage it, you're absolutely, brutally honest about it on the one hand. On the other hand, there's this kind of this call for elevated existence. And I want you to throw into this mix, which is work in progress, one more, my, one more Rambam, and then maybe we can, can start to play around with what this means for us. So this is the next Rambam. And this is the Rambam. The previous Rambam was in Chapter 5 of Hilchot Deot, which are the laws of self-development in the Rambam. And this is in Chapter 6. And the Rambam says the following astonishing thing. But so true, and so, I suppose, experientially accurate for us, and certainly for me. Derech Priyasa Shal Adon. It is the way, it is the the way that man, people were fashioned, meaning it's hardwired, for a modern translation we are hardwired we are hardwired that we will be drawn in our paradigms and perceptions and in what we do after the people that surround us and our friends, friendship circle so the Rambam almost goes from the immediate social circle that surrounds you to the extended social circle. And he says, the way that we are built psychologically, our hardwiring is that we are constantly interacting with our environment and our environment is exercising a profound influence on who we are, in how we think, in what we do. On every level. He raises quite openly the notion of the idea of how we are, in a certain way, victims of our socialization. And the constructs and limitations of our perception very often are simply because we were given a cultural script to read, a particularly family system, and then we carry that forward in our lives. And those external factors actually formulate our perspectives, our goals, and our hierarchy of values. And two people from very two different circumstances will have diverse approaches to life, and theoretically, were you to swap them, they would have the same diversity, but just from the opposite side. So you get your person born, and I'm going to use random examples. In Brisbane, Brisbane, for those of you who don't know, is a City in Australia. Australia, for those of you who don't know, is, an, is a big landmass, mostly desert, located somewhere in the world. No one's quite sure where. So a person grows up in Brisbane, and the most intense thing the person has ever said, and the highest level of his kind of aggravation, is something like this. Yeah, you know, that's it's not so great. Now, you put him, he's, he's, he's like, and we'll call him Bill, for want of a better name. So there's Bill. And then you've got Rafi. Rafi grew up in downtown Cholon. And in downtown Cholon, the way you ask to pass to pass pass the water is Tavino. So what happens is, Bill meets Raffi, and there's water on the table. So like, Bill's trying to figure out how can he get the water to him. So he starts to like make sounds like yeah, you no, know, you, know, you think you. Uh, Ah, of thirsty. You're great, you know. If could have some, some water. I wonder if you could maybe have just just mm, do you mind just for a moment passing me the the water, and uh, and and Raffy's looking like what is going wrong with this guy? <laughs> right, this is so so like he gives him the water, like he gets what he's going to. Two seconds like later, Raffy's thirsty, goes, Give me the water now, and Bill goes whoa, 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 and like, but he didn't go whoa, whoa, whoa because they would be way, way too out of his comfort zone. He goes, yeah, whoa, but that was for him exactly. <laughs> so now, watch this. Watch this. In a, an incredible, an incredible um, magical trick, I take bull and I plant him as a small baby in Cholon, and I take Rafi and I plant him as a small baby in Brisbane, and the two meet. And exactly the same thing happens. They just switch roles. Now it's Rafi, with his slightly incongruous name, says, you know, uh, Bill, he's just wondering, are you thirsty? And now it's Bill who's saying, give me the water. Pure product of social conditioning. And it goes so far, it can sometimes go so far that it can lead to what we call bystander apathy. Bystander apathy is when something happens and no one knows what to do. Um, there was a, a famous case in New York with a woman called Catherine of Kitty Because It was, was about 30 years ago, but it's like studied as a psychological experience of suppose, social anthropology that uh, a woman was stabbed repeatedly to, to death. And there was something like 40 eyewitnesses that watched her being stabbed to death. And one of the social theories is that the attacker, literally, he attacked her... And then you looked around to see if like, someone was going to apprehend him, and nothing happened. So the theory is that given that situation, so people don't know what to do. So they look around at the other people to see what we should do. And the other people aren't doing anything. So it's okay. Well, obviously, you shouldn't do anything because they, they're driven by looking for social cues as how to behave in this new and unfamiliar circumstance. In an even more extreme example was Jesse Jones, who headed off a cult which moved to a little country in Central America. And the, I don't know if any of you know the expression of drinking the Kool-Aid. We offer it in the liters in Orsamach. Um So when you drink the Kool-Aid, the expression means that you're like, you really buy into it and you're like, you know, you fall, f- climb in for sink of what given... Position, so it comes from Jesse Jones. It's quite a brutal story. Jesse Jones had a cult, and he, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't that, uh, that grounded. Um, he basically encouraged his whole cult to commit suicide. But the way it worked is he got these gigantic vats of Kool Aid, which had poison in them, and he had to like get someone to be the first person. So the first person to do it was a young woman with a baby, and she took the Kool Aid and she first fed it to her child, and the child started to shudder, and then die, and then she took it, and she died, and then everyone else around her, I don't know how many people there were, but there was there was like 50, 100, all proceeded to drink the Kool-Aid, and they all died. Um, so you can understand that that's kind of an extreme example of a uh, a closed social circuit where you're not quite sure what to do. So you just kind of look around to see, oh, oh okay, well, in this, when your cult leader says to you, like, Commit suicide. Oh, you, you commit suicide. So this idea of being um, kind of controlled by a social environment is hardwired into into human existence. And uh, I suppose if you wouldn't be the Rambam and you'd be a, a evolutionary anthropologist, you probably have a lot of. Stuff to say about it, but we take a more spiritual approach, and we 're saying that, that's, that, that that design was deliberate. In other words, there's some kind of motive that the the, the, the higher being Hashem has, has in designing people that way, and we 'll have to explore what that is. But it also kind of touches on our overall, our overall topic, because our overall topic is essentially discussing the nature of human relationships, how porous are we emotionally? How porous are we? You know, we create boundaries, and then we have openings, and then we influence, and we influence, and then we're not influenced, and then we stand out, and then we become the same as. And that's this broader topic. And before I just continue, I'd like to get a question from Daniel Lewis, if 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 Can I may. It's um, all about Ruffy and Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that saying that there's nothing inherently, So so comes along Daniel Lewis and he slams a smack into the massive nature-nurture debate and says, oh, it's a seagull, so you are those nature-only guys. Uh, Of course not. Of Of course people have got individualized personalities and within Brisbane there's not only Bill, there's Bruce and his brother Bruce and his second cousin Bruce. And, of course, their good friend, Bruce. So there's a lot of them, and they're all subtly different. But there's an overlapping social script that they're all reading. For example, it's hard to meet a person who's been brought up in a Western education system. And you say to him, so what are you going to do after high school? And he says, well, I think I'll just maybe go explore the forests in um, northern New Zealand. And you say, but there are no forests in northern New Zealand. Yeah. Um, if you ask the average person brought up in the Western education system, so it goes like this primary school, high school, university, or some kind of equivalent. There's not like primary schooling, mm, do you think I should go to high school? And no, truth is, I mean, from millions of children's experience, it's really not a good thing. Like millions of children, you say to them, how was in high school? Like, what did you learn? And they say, not that much," he said. "But you're there for like like, for like five years, like six years. Like, what do you do?" He said, "I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's amazing how they managed to teach me so little in so much time." So, well, Joe, you know, what I want to do is, I want to, I want to, like, just. I think it's better for me if I just um, play video games. You know, I work on my hand eye coordination and I think about strategy. You know, like, let me just spend my time in something productive, like Minecraft. You know, or or I don't know, or so. People don't think that way because we're, we're kind of we're conditioned that this is, this is what you've got to do. And if, if you do try to break that, it's like the pushback is enormous. Like it's almost as if you're insane. But by the same token, if you live in the Kalahari Desert and you've been raised by your tribe, so somehow no one's like pushing you to go to university. Like they're pushing you may way more. It's like better at hunting giraffe. And like if you try to take the guy who's like been brought up in the western society and you like, you try to explain to him how hard it is to hunt a giraffe, it doesn't get him. So that's interesting. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. And like the Western world has become so intoxicated with its own grandeur that you don't realize that the entire Western world is 12% of the world's population. So this whole thing called psychology, for example, it only and studies Europeans and Americans. And therefore, it's like an incredibly limited perspective of what humanity is all about. And that's why in basic things like family structure child-raising, the stupidity of the self-esteem fiction, and all that other stuff. No one goes for that except Westerners, because they're they're caught in this little bubble that they've kind of thought is, no, this is reality. No, it's not. It's just modern Western society, which is by our own admission, going to be dramatically different in five years' time. So, the kind of life you're devoting yourself to becoming is going to be outdated and cancelled by someone that comes in five years. It's a pity. Especially putting so much effort into it. So, I would much rather like subscribe to something which is a little bit a little bit of longevity, like a three thousand year kind of legacy. That may be a bit helpful, but no, we already, um, we're already recording this whole Western uh, dream. But that's but that's so you see that your cultural influence is so profound that you don't even think of it as a cultural influence. You think of it. Oh no, th- this is all you have to do. And like when someone challenges that, this is all you have to do. You think, whoa, they're really weird. And you so see, you have these really weird people meeting these really weird people. It's just we just kind of very, very much dominated, and that's the Rambam right, that we're dominated by, by our environment in a very profound way. That which is which is so so important to know. It's so important to know because we start to think that these values that we've simply absorbed through osmosis through our culturalization and socialization are actually real. Not real. They're just like a blips in history or geography. And there's nothing really real about them. They're just circumstantial. And if you'd been born in a different place at a different time, you'd be radically different and you'd be, be devoted to it. So that, that's quite fascinating. And, and like, for me, that's part of the absurdity of um, going back in history and critiquing, pe- critiquing people who had a different upbringing. It's, it's almost absurd That you can go back and say, oh, well, those people back then, 1852, they were really, you know, they were this and they were imperialist and they were racist and they were this. Well, yes, because had you been born in that milieu, you'd be exactly the same. So you can't expect kind of can't expect kind of, or maybe you can, a different form of behavior. So that's, that's something very powerful. Let's just get a question from Ariel over here. So it's a famous question, like a person who grew up like in a, like a, a place where everybody was terrorists and like mm. Jews and all these different mm. things. Is that really, like when he goes, God forbid, it's a suicide thing, is that really his? Right. In other words, it brings to the fore of what kind of volition, uh, what kind of control do we have over our own lives? Like, do, can we... You know, can we really choose? You know, if this cultural thing is, is so overpoweringly um, influential, uh, can we actually rise against it? So I mean, I'll ask you that question right now and you probably realize, well, of course you can because that's what we're doing right now in this moment. <laughs> I'm kind of saying to you, oh, look at this Western thing, it's like so silly. But you grew up believing the self-esteem rubbish. But now I'm saying, no, it's self-esteem rubbish. They so say to me, well, ah. So now through a process of Logical deduction, we can see the futility of the idea. And then people can say, Whoa, oh, I never thought about it that way. Or you can see that it's stupid. A Western educational system is stupid. Doesn't help. Doesn't help. Does some good things, some good things, but they're probably way worse things than it does. The fact that we can challenge the prevailing discourse and come to different understandings, right now in this room, shows that we do have volition and we can choose. Right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation. We'd be too bound. We can, we can choose, but our choices are kind of very much influenced by our environment. Right? As the yep, other guy said. Right. Someone who becomes a terrorist and makes Jews, if you took in that person, that birth and placed him in the Jewish means, right? By the time you're at the same age, is entirely different. Entirely different. It's entirely different. So, in other words, theoretically, someone can choose anything. Theoretically, someone can choose, but practically, your environment is immensely influential, which is what the Rambam says. Um, but then again, given the right interventions, the right exposures, the possibility for choice for sure exists. But it wouldn't be the predicted trajectory based on social environments. Now, this is immensely important for us, because it comes out that probably the most fundamental decision you can ever make in your life (laughs) is which society you choose to live in, which is bizarre. I mean, because that's going to be a dictating point. So if you live in this community, so then you'll be this, and if you live in that community, you'll be that. And when you live in that community, you'll think to be anything else is almost impossible. And in fact, the, the, the Rambam kind of goes on with this and he, kind of, he, he he derives a conclusion from his initial premise and he says, Well, if you're influenced by environment, so then you have to think, well, what kind of environment would I like to be in? So he says, you should befriend, connect to really righteous holy people. And you should sit by the wise you should be there always, and then you'll learn from the actions. And you should really distance yourself. Distance yourself from people who are very negative and destructive in their ways. So that you shouldn't be influenced by their ways. And this is captured in the words of Solomon the Wise that one who walks with the wise becomes wise and the one that hangs out with the fools will become foolish. Now the Rambam goes a little bit further, and this is really this is really challenging. Listen to this. Imagine you are part of a, a culture that the cultural influence is negative. Vein And the people in this place aren't going on the straight and narrow. they corrupt. Move. Immigrate. Do what you can. Don't stay there. Do not stay there. And if all the places that you are aware of are all on that same page and they're all negative and then the Rambam adds in two words which are Chilling he says like our times. And the Rambam I think was in a very different world to ours, which is which I suppose is interesting in the sense of the Chinese curse. (laughs) It's funny for me. Or you can't leave. There's some kind of extenuating circumstances which prevent you from getting up and leaving the place that you're in. So then, this is the this is the, this is the solution. You should isolate yourself and break off social contact. But if the people in their place don't allow you to do this, and they don't allow you to isolate probably not living in Melbourne. I think they're, they're into isolation. And they insist that you start doing what they do. So then the Ramams get quite, you know, this is the Ramam, of course, you're everyone like champions, the Rambam. Oh, you have to be like Maimonides because here's some so moderate, you know, the middle part. Well, we know that the mind is championed the middle path, don't we, Mr. Lewis? So, so rational. He's a rationalist. So let's see what the master rationalist has to tell us about social influence. He says, well, what happens if, like, you, you know, you're in this really unhealthy social environment and the whole world is, like, really unhealthy? So what should you do? What should you do? So he says, well, I've got a simple solution. You should, you should, you should, you should, should go live in a cave. No, that's already a that kind, of, kind of, kind of, yeah, very middle, of the derrick kind of thing to say. Wow. Okay. So there's a rambam. Wow, that's kind of uh, quite jarring for a <laughs> Tuesday morning. You know what I'm saying? When you think about where you should live. And uh, it comes out. And, uh, I, 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 the truth is, I mean, uh, this is completely incidental. I do happen to have. Some real estate that I'm kind of selling, you know, in a uh, the Gobi Desert. Some fantastic caves. I'm just, I'm saying, just, anyone interested can approach me afterwards. It's <laughs> a, a joke. From the Kalahari, and um, so that's the, this. No, this is like really, this is this is this is fascinating stuff, right? So, so now this is this kind of. We've jumbled up these three different topics and we've got on the one hand this idea of opening myself up and creating connection. On the other hand, we've got this this, this elevating myself and creating a sense of um, distinguished distinction, different. And then we've got this other idea of the porous nature of social engagement, that everything that's around there kind of just slips into me. And I... So it seems to me, it's really this kind of, it's a big question on influence, being influenced, influencing others, um, global influencers, micro-influencers, individual relationships, societal relationships. This is like huge, and this is like a major, major crux, ironically, of our spiritual development. Certainly something that we need to seriously think about. So I'm just, I'm just stimulating thought. I mean, it's not like I'm coming up with these fantastic guidelines of what to do. All I'm trying to do is, like, create avenues of exploration inside of us, and we'll see where that goes. Okay. Um, so I think we, we may have a minute for any questions. Did I see a question there from the front row? Um, so just with the opinion base with the Rambot, mm. um how would the concept of Kiro bypass that? Right. I mean, you're already making an assumption that it does. You're assuming that the Rambam, if he has pros, say, well, what happens if you want to really kind of go out there and spread an important idea, and the environment is exactly contrary to what you're doing? Yeah. So should you do that? So now you answer for the Rambam and say, yeah, you should, but but how? Maybe you go to the Rambam and he says, why would you do that? Right? We don't know. That's why I'm saying. This idea is so important to explore yeah. because it has so many ramifications. Or do I really? In other words, there's there's a massive there's a massive toll to be paid by self isolation. What happens if you've got these incredible talents and you've got this power to influence and you could transform the world, but it means putting yourself in a very compromised position from a social perspective, like going to Vegas, which for some reason sounds inviting. <laughs> there's actually a there's a burgeoning Jewish community in Vegas, Vegas, like a you know, it's really growing. Like Vegas is one of the quickest growing communities. Mm, I mean I feel that they, they need a leader. I may just be the person. <laughs> I hope it's close to the casinos, so there could be like you know, there could, there could be biases involved. Um, so you, uh, I thought that's making important things to, to like put into the milieu of your thought processes in order to empower you to, to become more enlightened. Thank you for your time and patience.